everyone, Leanne Pilkinson here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations. And with me in lockdown, and it's looking cold, is Andy Reid. Hey Andy, how are you? I'm really well, thanks Leanne, how are you? Yeah, going really, really well, thank you. Now you and I actually, um, we connected on social media, which is a sign of the times, isn't it? Yes. Um, and actually didn't meet uh, face-to-face until we were in Melbourne at the auctioneering competition, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was yeah, that was yeah, and I think uh, I think we we managed to meet properly, and then I think we met in the wee hours or something. Where, uh, yeah, exactly. Doesn't sound like me at all. See, that's the <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. When you're a non-drinker, you do remember everything, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't drink either. No. <laughs> anyway, it's part of my job. Anyway. <laughs> Don't tell any of those secrets today. Thank you very much. (laughs) Andy, tell me a little bit about your background and prior to COVID, because I know you've had to kind of shift a few things like so many of us have had to. But prior to COVID, tell me your your story. Um, The the highlight reel, so... Yeah. My, uh, so I'm engineering educator. I've actually got a degree in mechanical and manufacturing engineering, okay. um, but I found it boring as anything. So I decided not to do that. Fell in love with the hospitality world, actually. Right. Uh, yeah. So at 21, I, off my degree, walked into a management contract at an EPL soccer ground for their, their entire bar operation, So which was great. I mean, a bit of a baptism fly. I was sort of running a turnover of about just under 14 mil a year. Um, at 21 which is cool and about 250 odd staff which is wicked and it happened to be the team that supported so I got paid to watch my team play which was the best (laughs) oh it's amazing and then um, and then so yeah and then was in hospitality management for a number of years and and worked at different venues and I I made a conscious effort to make sure I didn't pigeonhole myself so I went from there to a resort so which had a theme park and what what have you so uh, I could go on a ride at lunch break and stuff and and then, uh, and then ended up as a GM. My last gig in hospitality was the GM of a, of a vodka bar in southwest London, which is where I met my now wife, who was doing the standard textbook Australian thing, going drinking all the beer in England, uh, as, as, as they tend to do. And, yeah, and I, I was sort of part of the duty-free that came, that came over. So How long ago was that? That was – so I came over the start of 2010. Okay. Uh, start very start of 2010 and just before the London riots happened so uh, and it was right around where my old bar was in the end which was interesting so uh, interesting little fact though with that so many shops got ransacked except for the watering holes not one pub or bar was touched so they clearly you know even the rioters have the priority set right so yeah so then my wife's father-in-law owned a real estate franchise down in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne and I was in the process of getting contra- of getting sponsored by Vodafone but Mal sort of said Andy over, over dinner he said Andy I think you'd be good at real estate why don't you give it a crack and I said okay no problem if I'm crap bin me I won't hold it against you and yeah that was in 2010 and it sort of uh, started to kick on from there and it just turns out I happened to be pretty good at the sales side of it um 2012 started my auctioneering thing and it's exactly the same thing my father-in-law threw me into it on two weeks notice and uh and it turns out i wasn't too bad at that either and and that's where i that's where i found my one of my true passions in in the auctioneering space i worked under him and then in 2017 and i was at the sales management position at that point and sort of 
doing myself between sort of 60 to 90 transactions a year, plus helping the other guys and whatnot. And then I started my auction freelance business on the side in 2017, Mm -hmm. which was hard because I was running the sales team. Didn't want to let my father-in-law down either. So I needed to keep my hand up there. So I was working sort of 16, 17 hours a day mm-hmm. uh, on, on all of that. Because you got to, right? You, when you're starting a new business, you've got to put in the, you got to put in the yards. And then went full-time in 2018, just before the market went to crap. And, and, just, before, yeah, and just before we found out that our second, our second kid was on its way. So that was great. That was great timing. <laughs> totally. Fast forward to 2020, COVID yeah. hits and live auctions are no more. How did you, um, I hate the P word, but how did you pivot your business? How did you? Yeah, it's a bit, it is a bit of a minger of a word to be fair. It is a bit average, but um, look, for me, I was always. A minger of a word. I like that. Sorry. So oh, I, like that was a bit... I like it. I like it. Feel free. Uh, feel free. Very British word that. So. I was always of the opinion that although, so auctioneering is one of those things that I feel very much in a state of flow when I'm doing it um, mm-hmm. for a long time. Cause I had, you know, I've been going down the mental, going down mental health lane for five and a half years. And for a long time, auctions were my escape. Uh, so uh, talk to me about that. What does that mean? Going down mental health lane? So uh, when I was 31, uh, so I'm 36 now. So just after I turned 31, I got rubber stamped with acute depression and anxiety. Uh, and and auctions like it would get to the point where uh, a 25 minute auction would be the only 25 minutes that I'd find relief which is bizarre right because right. everything everybody else is under the pump and under pressure and in chaos and whatnot but even and that's t- quite a stress you know being an auctioneer is quite a stressful job for a lot of people as well because it's really it's, it's quite high pressure Oh, but for me, it's kind of works the opposite. Like right. to put it into a picture. So my mind, if you if you if if you're to look into my mind during an auction, you just see a nice calm sunset over on a beach. <laughs> it's the rest of the week that's chaos. Right. Interesting. So it's bizarre. It's it's really really weird. And so you were you were managing anxiety and depression whilst managing a sales team and being a high performing salesperson and an auctioneer all at the same time. And learning how to be a parent as well. So my first, right. so my daughter, so we've got two kids. My daughter was about eight or about seven months when I got rubber stamped. And my wife, who I owe my life to, she she sort of had the had the front to say to me, Andy, I think you've got an issue. Something's not right with you here. Um, and we thought it could have been a bit of postnatal stuff. It turns out, you know, it's, it's taken a lot longer to work out because there's been some much more deep, deep-rooted issues that I've been papering over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, while I've been going through it, I've started a couple of different businesses and and whatnot. And it's been the best bad thing to have ever happened to me, to be perfectly frank. It's now I own it. I'm, I'm in full ownership of it. Um, and you know what? It's so important to talk about it because yeah. so many people, particularly blokes, don't talk about it. And there are so many people that are suffering from it. It's important for people to know there are other people, A, suffering, but also B, succeeding and starting businesses and working through the issues. I think it's really good that you talk about it. Oh, but the big thing is, though, Leanne, is, is the world keeps turning, right? Yeah. It, it's, and it's not going to stop just because you're down in the dumps. And so from my point of view, when I first got stamped with it, it was, re- it was really interesting. So I, it was, 
I would put on a front so the mask would come on, you know, that yeah. analogy of a mask would come on and, and a rock and roll. And, and in a weird, weird way, my listing success rate, my listing strike rate actually improved because I was almost, I was separate from who I, from what I was doing. Like my mind was just, I was, I was not white knuckle about what I was doing because I was too, I was very much entrenched in that, you know, potentially. You're playing one of, a part, right? Yeah. So, I, and then because I had that sort of degree of separation, yeah. it allowed me to be, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pretty transparent guy anyway. So, like, I mean, my parents were police officers, so I, I had a human lie detectors growing up. So, I'm, I'm the worst <laughs> liar on the planet. I am. I'm so bad because I never got a chance to, lot to work out how to do it. Yeah, right. uh, so, my wife thinks it's great. So, my listening strike rate went up. Like, at one point, I was... It was crazy. I mean, bearing in mind, I never really had a PA and I was listing sort of 15 to 20 houses at one point uh, yeah. a month, yeah. uh, which was insane. And, but it was because I was burying myself. Yeah. I was burying myself in my work. I was, I was providing myself with distractions so I didn't have to listen to my own thoughts. And that was not a nice place to be, right? No. Not a nice place to be. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. So, but now my biggest thing with all of it, so if anybody is struggling, knowledge is power. So you have all of these, you know, going and talking to people and medications or therapies or yoga or whatever it is, or um, so yeah. fitness or whatever it is. They are all things that can help to calm it down, to sort of temper it. But ultimately, if you really want to evolve through it and not have it repeat down the track uh, over and over again, which it will, then you need to change the hard wiring, which is a knowledge thing. That is, a, that is a knowledge thing and it's a reflection thing that is, a, it's a much harder path to follow. And but, how do you follow that with therapy or, or um, just your own reading? Oh, look, for me, like I did so much, I became really inquisitive about it from the get-go. And I was very lucky because my GP that I landed in the lap of, because uh, I called the whole lifeline thing and they put me onto someone and, and whatever, they found me someone. And the person that I landed in the lap of, we very quickly got an understanding with each other that I'm not just going to be a passenger on this. Yeah. And we turned it into a collaborative partnership, essentially. And you know, to this day, I go see her every, I, I speak to her every three weeks to this mm -hmm. day. And that's five years down the track. It, because now I see her as like my mental PT, mental mm -hmm. fitness. And yeah. she keeps me, you know, she keeps me on top. So if I drop my fit, my fitness, cause it's all a part of it, but understanding things like, uh, so I got her to explain to me about all of the various chemicals that go on in your head and how that affects you at various points in the day and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what, that's the reason why I don't drink because I learned. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because I know, um, I know one of the things that they say if you do suffer from anxiety and depression is don't, don't drink alcohol, don't drink coffee, do meditation, do yoga and stay fit. But the, but the thing is, the reason why alcohol is, is not great for you is because it, it, it blocks the production of serotonin, is, which is one of the key chemicals in your brain that actually helps you get out of bed in the morning. Hence, why you feel hungover, right? Uh, yeah. Because of that, because of that exact thing. So, and we, over the journey, we found out that I, I just have this deficiency when it comes to producing serotonin. And so I was like, right, well, why put myself into a dark place voluntarily because my hangovers were fine body-wise. So I used to run bars, right? So I could handle my drink. That wasn't a problem. Um, and I never had a drinking problem. Yeah. Um, it was one particular scenario where I 
thought I, I was feeling hungover. My hangovers were clouding my judgment for days, sure. like middle of Tuesday from a Saturday night, and I'd still be cloudy. And it was really, really hanging over me. And my daughter, and I fobbed my daughter off, who was one and a half at the time. She wanted to play. And I said, oh, daddy's tired. And it was like Monday night or something. And that, and she goes, daddy, that's okay, daddy. I go bed. And she took herself to bed and it ripped my heart out. And literally from that moment on, I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since. Because I knew that for me, I'd rather be a good dad and a human being seven days a week. And I, yeah. I don't need a drink to dance like an idiot. I'll do that sober anyway, right? Yeah, well, I think I remember that. But anyway, I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so has it helped not drinking? Has made you feel Massively. Yeah. Massively. I mean, like, so for me, it was weird because then the problem became quietening my mind down in terms of coming up with ideas and being, you know, so the sharpness was, it was tangible. I was coming up with all these ideas, some of which were okay. And, it, but it was just a constant thing. So, and I mean, I'm a bit of a night owl anyway, so I'll be working till the wee hours anyway, a lot of the time, yeah. but it was getting bad to the point that I was struggling to sleep because I was too busy thinking of stuff that I could do and, and what have you. So that's when, that's when I started looking at different medication mixes yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, I know you have people saying, no, I don't get on, I don't, don't go on the meds because you become addicted to them and it's just helping the man or whatever. Honestly, if, if, if I'm, you know, lying in the pockets of someone who's already a billionaire, but I'm feeling happy, really don't care. Who cares? Exactly. Yeah, right. I really don't give stuff. Yeah. So now I'm on a couple of, I'm on, I'm on two different meds and I've got no arm in saying this. Like I hit the brink, like, you know, the, the steering wheel was veering towards something solid uh, uh, on the odd occasion and whatnot. And thankfully, thank God, snapped out of it at the last second. And so I got, you know, put through to psychiatrist who gives us access to the real good stuff. And, and so now I'm on uh, a couple of different meds, one in the morning, one in the evening, and I'm rocking, right? Yeah. I'm happy, you know? So in, you know, if that means if by taking a couple of pills, it means that I'm a better dad and a better husband and, and a better lad generally, then I, uh, why not? Like, I don't think there should be a stigma about it at all. I completely no. agree with you. No, because yeah. for some people, and that's the thing, right? All of these different measures, like, so for example, um, getting fit apparently is, is crucial, right? To your mental health right. and well-being. It's all interconnected. But the problem is, right, there's still a hell of a lot of fit people that are depressed. So what do they do? Because for them, like, so for someone that's overweight or whatnot, and they go into depression, going to the gym is a significant achievement. So the endorphin rush and the dopamine rush that comes off going to the gym, just being at the gym is significant. It's a massive step to recovery. But for someone who's fit and active already, going to the gym has very little of, effect, of an effect from a dopamine point of view. Yeah, so right. what do they do? Right. Yeah. So, and the big thing about it is, I know that the medical profession, I know we're, we're completely off topic, but um, the, the medical profession gets a bad rap in a lot of ways because they get told there's not enough support or anything like that. But ultimately, every single one of us is wired differently in some way, shape, or form. And that all the doctors have to work off is probability. Mm -hmm. They can only show you the door. Yeah. You've got to walk through it yourself. And that's when, that's why I said, come back to my point. Knowledge is power yeah. because I'm the only person that has my wiring. Therefore I need the knowledge to understand what is likely to help my wiring. Yeah. And it's in, in, and I can't stress it enough. You've got to, you've got to educate, you've got to empower yourself with knowledge before you even, you can even consider really creating an evolution for yourself. So I feel like I'm an evolved human being off the back of it. 
Um, and I'm grateful. I'm super grateful for going through it. I wouldn't recommend it. Don't get me wrong. No. But I'm incredibly grateful for the experiences that I've had because now, I mean, like my old wiring, chances are we'd have never connected with no. my old wiring, for example, right? We'd have never connected. So, you know, it's, it's every cloud, right? And I know it's harder to, to do when you're in the middle of it, but the not having the knowledge and the awareness helps massively. Yeah, massively. Well, I did not expect the conversation to go down this path, but I'm really glad that it did because I think that a lot of people will find it really helpful. But I'm used to that with you, Andy. I think the conversations always go down paths I don't expect. <laughs> um, so so um, COVID hit. Um, yes. And how did you, because I know you started some different things off the back of your inability to actually go out and do what you normally do. So tell yep. me about that. Taylor too hard. First, first lockdown for me was different to the second one because, yeah. you know, generally speaking, the second lockdown has been a mental battle, not a logistical battle. First one has been very much more mechanical. And then the second one has been mind, it's been a mind issue. It's mechanical versus mental now. Uh, and I think the first one, I think, and obviously I'm not in Melbourne, so we haven't suffered the, you know, as much as you guys have, but certainly the first one was massive uncertainty. Yep. Um, and whilst the second one, there's not certainty, we, I think we still feel like, okay, we know how to do this. We worked, exactly. we worked that out before. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, it's, it's, so the first one was about crap. How do we do this? Exactly. And, now, and now it's we know how to do it. Have we got the mental fortitude to just keep getting through? And that's, and that's what it's boiling down to. Uh, you know, and that's why a lot more conversations are happening around mental health because mm. of the fact that it has been it literally has changed from a mechanical problem to a, to a mental problem. Uh, it's that mental energy to push on through when you sat at home and a pantry's just there and, and, and you're getting all these yummy treats that you really don't want to shove down your mouth, but you end up doing it because otherwise you'd be, you'd be feeling rude. I've lost five kilos in lockdown, thank you very much. Right. Well, do you want to borrow my kids for, <laughs> for a couple of days and see what happens then? They were making cupcakes yesterday. My, my daughter loves cooking. Well, she oh, only no. loves cooking sweet stuff. <laughs> so yeah, that's a challenge because you can't say no, Daddy doesn't want to eat it because that exactly because hard. then you're the, then then you're a criminal for rejecting <laughs> her her uh, the products exactly. of her labour. So, so um, you started your own podcast um, during lockdown uh, first did. time around, didn't you? I did, and that came uh, the idea came at two thirty in the morning. And I woke up and just pinged with this idea and nudged my wife. And generally, she tells me to shut up, talk to me in the morning. But this time, I said to her, I said, look, I need to do something because the reason why I started The Silver Lining was because I was recognizing traits and behaviors in society that were reflecting the initial part of my mental health journey. And it was glaringly obvious to me. And and I said to her, darling, I need to to do something to help give people perspective. I'm going to call it the silver line. I'm just going to do a bunch of interviews. And she goes, Andy, actually, that's all right. That's a really, and then whenever she stays awake and actually pays attention, I know it's not a bad idea, right? (laughs) Uh, So, so yeah. And that was no thought put into it at all. Um, That's my kind of podcast. Exactly. I had that sort of idea and it, and it kicked on. I had, again, no thought, but I thought, so the reason why I did it live uh, and did these live shows is because Atomic Habits by James Clear, an incredible book. And towards the end of the book, it talks about replicating the conditions that put you into a state of flow. 
And for me, auctions oh, yeah. is flow state time for me. Right, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. So that's where spontaneity, I broke down all of the conditions and spontaneity and, and intuitive and whatnot. That's why I, I really sort of kicked into gear with that. And about a week into it, I had some god-awful news come from England and ended up having to do the rest of that first series from the UK. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I had to travel over to the UK and, and deal with fairly significant issues unfortunately and and i was in england for ended up like six weeks and back in those days you could travel at that point or you just no i had to get no i had to get so lockdown happened and towards the end of march and then in beginning of april found out some really bad stuff so i had to apply to department of human affairs to leave got the got they were brilliant by the way they were amazing they fast-tracked me because of the severity of the situation yeah um was over there for six weeks, but I thought, no, what balls to it? I need to carry on with this podcast. I'm really enjoying it. It's providing value. Uh, so I was doing it at like 3 a.m. and and whatever. But it was good. It, like it was good for me. It took on a whole nother meaning for me because I was like dealing with my my, my father who unfortunately passed away, and my mum was dealing with stuff as well. And 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 it, for me, it was almost it was like that escapism that I used to refer options to, right? Yeah. It's so important that you recognise what you need and then yeah. go out and actually deliver it, whatever that looks like for you. So for me, at the beginning of lockdown, I go to the gym five or six times a week and obviously couldn't go to the gym. I'm not a runner, I'm not built to be a runner, but okay. I started going for a walk and all of a sudden it's like, I have to run. I have yep. to run. I just needed, my body needed to just expel that energy and so I've been running ever since. Yeah. Not far, but I sort of do it regularly. Yeah. So it's really important that you recognise what it is that you need and then find a way of delivering it. So like you did with your 3am podcast. Yeah, and, and it worked really, really well. And, and it got traction. It was helping people out and everything. So I did the second series from quarantine. Thankfully, <laughs> not in the Ridges Hotel. Uh, but uh, <laughs> which is- So you were in hotel quarantine? Yeah. So, oh, my yeah. goodness. How was that? Uh, look, let's let's be frank. Like I was on the seventeenth floor with a city view apartment in Crown Metro, in you know Crown Promenade. Oh, excuse me. If, look, if that's prison, then I'm happy to go rob a bank every day of the week. It, yeah. it was, it, you know what? First world problems, right? And totally. the biggest the biggest challenge for me was the fact that because my kids and my wife stayed in Australia while I was in England, mm. uh, so that was the toughest bit: being in Melbourne but not being able to go home. Mm. Um, after being out for so long and dealing with some of the stuff that I dealt with. Mm. But aside from the dodgy food that we got delivered, uh, you know, it was fun. You used not to really do very much, just lounge around and, yeah. <laughs> well, that's where I did my second series of Silver Lining. I ended yeah. up being really busy or pretty much every day, which was amazing. Yeah. I yeah, loved it. Great. Um, yeah. Because I started a marketing business back in the last year and that was picking up. Um, that was picking you. up. <laughs> that was picking up and then I was thinking about doing the coaching side of things so I was doing homework on that and 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 all that sort of because I you know I, al- I always knew that I was going to need to do more than just auctioneering because it was golden handcuffs if I relied solely on auctioneering then unless I was in Melbourne on a Saturday calling auctions I'd have no money yeah, yeah. Exactly. so 
I was always going to diversify. And yeah. all COVID did was just accelerate it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's smart to, to take the opportunity when it finds you, right? So talk to me about your coaching business. You've really just got that off the ground. Yeah, well, it's not launched yet. Um, a lot of my stuff is, is, a lot of it's from my hospitality days, to be perfectly frank, yeah. because I was just wired from a very young professional age to focus on consumers and then reverse engineer solutions from that. Yeah. And I dealt with every demographic and I'm not, you know, and I'm not even painting, I'm not even exaggerating there. Like, so for example, when I was running the, the food and beverage side for a hotel, for a resort, the, the, the hotel took a booking for the national British nudist society. So we had a weekend full of naked people. Try keeping eye contact. Right? Well, I, um, I actually did, um, I was camping, so that tells you it was a very long time ago, with some friends and we walked down the beach and there were some nudists playing volleyball. And that's an image that I can't get out of my head and I never need to see again. Oh, look, it's very not... Messy. Yeah, the, the pornographic version of what people think it is and what it really is are, are, are so vastly different, vastly no. different. And, you know, so I learn how to tune into people really and it actually comes back from my parents my parents being police officers they always taught me to read what is actually being said not what you're hearing right that's what they taught me from the playground days uh so what a fantastic lesson to learn at that yeah. age that's amazing oh uh, look my mum my was an extremely powerful individual um mm. and she made it all pretty much to the top of uh, the police force in the uk and so from that side of it one thing i'm really grateful for her from for her is is the emotional intelligence side of things i was brought up uh, as like, with my mum being the strength of the home so the emotional intelligence that rubbed off me from her yeah. was pretty significant so I'm bringing all that to the fore with my coaching and, and so your coaching is it is it actually skills based you know make these calls that kind of real estate coaching or is it more on the um, emotional intelligence side of things I've got this belief and it was only pointed out to me when I was chatting to someone last year. Realistically, if we, took, if we want to genuinely inspire action in human beings, we get put through two filters. We get put through both the EQ and the IQ filters, right? So we're walking into a listing presentation. Firstly, they want to make sure that we're not nasty people or horrible individuals. Yep. And then they want to understand that, we're that we are credible in what we do. And we can actually deliver the, the products and services that we are here to deliver. So essentially, and, this is, and I'm really glad that you asked me the question the way you did, because you need both. You have to have both. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, and I just blurted out this one line. I just said it as an equation. Uh, inspiring action is EQ plus IQ. And that's pretty much the spine of everything that I'm going to be doing is mm -hmm. acknowledging the textbook. You have to know what you're doing. Otherwise, all you're going to get from clients is, oh, we really liked you, but, but. right? Yeah. And then on the other side, if you're too heavily focused on the IQ space, system, scripts, dialogues, blah, dee, da, dee, da, dee, da, without understanding true context around all these things that is really why you need to understand scripts and dialogues it's the context through which you use them right that's the crucial that's the critical piece to all of that and mm. um, then all you're going to be doing is dropping your commission to get business because you're not going to show any true value from a human point of view yep. so that's where i'm really 
looking to bring a blend of it together and, and acknowledging the textbook, but at the same time, understanding the humans across the table in order to really inspire true, authentic action in human beings. That sounds amazing. Hopefully. Sounds really amazing. Hopefully. Um, we've been talking for half an hour already. Um, we could probably talk for another hour or three because that's what we're both like. <laughs> um, but I'm going to let you get back to your cold Melbourne afternoon. And, um, and I would love to check in a little way down the track and just see how the coaching business is going. I might even have some people to recommend to you as well. Oh, that'd be tremendous. I mean, my, 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 my mission is to create a, a breed of professional human beings. That's the, that's the mission is I want to create a breed of professional humans. And so really targeting uh, the people that are either struggling to find their place in the industry um, or feeling that they're... Actually, before we go, I should get back to that because you said to me before we um, started to record that you weren't really sure about your place in the industry for a while, yep. right? Yeah, 100%. And, uh, was that because of your depression or just because? Partly. Were, yeah. yeah, partly. But I honestly never had an interest in real estate. None. Zero. But the reason why I enjoyed my, why I liked doing what I was doing is because I was using it as a vehicle to move people on with their lives. You know, you, you know, so no one wakes up one day going, you know what, I fancy selling my home today. They always wake up, they always have a greater purpose and they use real estate as the vehicle. So that's how I translated it into my brain. I did have a chip on my shoulder with regards to, you know, the whole perception of a real estate agent. I came from being one of the most popular people in Southwest London uh, running a vodka bar to being one of the most loathed. And I, that did my head in. That really did my head in. I've got I've no problem in saying that I really struggled with that transition. Yeah. So when I translated it into that sort of form, right, I'm helping humans just right now. It's not booze, it's real estate. And it's the same with my marketing business and, and with the coaching. It's, it's, it's pretty much the same MO. It's the same message across all of them. I've just got different vehicles. Mm. And, and and that's what that when you talk about purpose it's essentially all it is it's inspiring action in humans uh, one human at a time and and hopefully 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 that's what i'll get to do yeah that's amazing if people want to um want to connect with you how do they do it I'm not the most difficult person to find on social yeah, media, no. to be honest. Um, you can hit me through Facebook. Uh, through Facebook, direct message is is a really cool way to go for me. My email is pretty straightforward. It's just andy at andyreed.com.au. But um, yeah, just hit me up on any of the socials. I'm, I'll be more than happy to chat to anyone. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And good luck. I think the coaching business is going to be sensational for you. I really do. Oh, fingers crossed. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great to catch up. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.